you know, when we think about the new year, we start thinking about where are we going in life? And we think about what does God want from me? As a matter of fact, as today we talk about freedom to be who God saved you to be, I think there's some questions that, that just typically percolate to the top of our minds and our thinking at the new year. They're important every day of the year, but sometimes at the new year, these just seem to be weightier and on our minds. By the time June, July comes around, if we're not careful, uh, we've already kind of let those questions go to the back of our minds. Let me put those questions on the screen. Questions like this, you know, does my life matter? Am I making a difference? What is the purpose of my life? Is my life going anywhere? And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're asking, what does God want for my life? You know, we're just wanting to know, what is God's will for my life? Is my, my, is my life making a difference? What's the purpose of my life? And you know, often it feels like God's playing games with us when it comes to his will for our lives, the purpose of our lives. It almost feels like God says, I've got a will for you, I've got a plan for you, and I'm going to hide it, and you've got to seek it. And God's playing hide and seek with us. But I've got good news for you this morning. If you're asking any of those questions, God's not playing games with you. He, he wants you to know what his will is for your life. And I believe this morning there are some practical truths and some practical principles that will help you discover God's purpose for your life. So that you can live 2019 with meaning, with value, with purpose, with passion, knowing that you are making a difference and that you are living your life to the fullest. That's why today we're talking about free to be all that God saved you to be. And I want you to turn, if you haven't already done so, to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin with verse 15. And I'm going to do something a little different today. Typically I find one passage of scripture and I just camp out in that. And we just hang out there and I try to help explain it and apply it to your life. And if there's another passage I need to get to, I just turn that into a multi-part series. You know, we're just maybe just break it up into three sermons. But today, I don't have the time. So I want to I cover a few verses in chapter 1. But then hold on because I want to also cover some verses in chapter 3. I'll spend most of my time in chapter 1. But I just think it's important for us to look at some verses in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, around A.D. 60 or 62 uh, in the first century. He was writing from a Roman prison cell because he was thrown in jail because he wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. He was experiencing religious persecution. But he wrote a letter to Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. And he wanted to encourage those new Christians in that new church to hold true to the teaching they had received about Jesus. There were some false teachers going around preaching heresy about Jesus. And he wanted to correct the record. And he wanted to inspire those first century Christians to learn more about Jesus. Who he really is. Some people were saying, you can only really know Jesus if you are a part of a mystical secret group. And you have special knowledge. But the rest of the people, they can't know Jesus like we do. Paul says that's heresy. Other people were saying, he's just a good teacher, he was a good example, he was a miracle worker, but he wasn't the son of God. Paul says that's heresy. Jesus is none other than the second person of the Godhead, co-equal, uh, co-eternal, uncreated, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so he begins by telling us a little bit about Jesus. And as we read these verses, you may think to yourself, what does this have to do with the question I have? What is my purpose in life? Just hold on. Be patient. We'll get to it. But I want you to see what Paul writes about Jesus. He writes in verse 15. He is, Jesus is, the image of the invisible God. He is saying Jesus has made visible the invisible God. The Bible says no one has seen God because no man can look upon God and live. God is spirit. But Jesus is God in flesh. And when he says he's the image, Paul is probably thinking to those Roman coins that he perhaps had in his pocket or he knew those first century Christians in Colossae would use in their everyday purchasing. That they could look at that Roman coin and on it, they would see the image of the Roman emperor. Having never met the emperor, they still could see his image on their coins. And he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he's the firstborn of all creation. Now there again, some people have built heresies on that one verse. They will teach you that Jesus is the first that, of God's creation. That there is God who existed eternally and then he created the Son. But the whole teaching of Scripture is that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is uncreated. He's co-eternal. So what does it mean here? He's the firstborn of all creation. Well, both in Jewish family lineage and in Roman adoption laws, the firstborn son was the leader of the family under the father. And when the father passed on, everything that the father had became the son's the firstborn to do what he wanted to with it and to continue now leading the family. Paul is just simply saying, Jesus Christ is filled with the full deity of God and all the prerogatives and authority of God. He is over everything as God. I wish we had time to explain that, but let's keep moving. Look at verse 16. For by him, this is Jesus, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In other words, he is first. He existed eternally. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus not only existed before all things, he not only created all things, but the very reason this universe hasn't spun apart, the very reason you still have life in your body is because Jesus holds all things together. He's not only creator, he is sustainer. In verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. In other words, he is the head of the church, not the pastor, not deacons, not charter church members, not the most givers or the biggest givers. There is one head of the body of Christ, the church, and that is Jesus who died on a cross, shed his blood to forgive us of our sins, rose from the dead, has forgiven us, brought us into the family of God. He is the head of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Paul is referring to the resurrection of Jesus. 
The reason Jesus has, is first is because he is eternal, co-equal with God the Father. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He's the one who died on a cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And he's also the one who rose from the dead to never die again. Poor Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Remember, he went to the tomb, been there four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets up alive, wobbles out of that tomb, still wrapped in grave clothes. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Poor Lazarus had to do that all over again one day. Had to die again. Two funerals in one life. But when Jesus rose from the dead, physically alive, he is the first born from the dead because he will never die again. He is right now seated physically at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But he's not the only born. He's the firstborn because one of these days he's going to give us resurrection bodies and we will never die again. Read Revelation chapter 21. There shall be no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. Those things will have passed away. And why is all this important? Paul concludes in verse 18 that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be first. He might be superior. He might be greatest in all things. And that's not arrogant. If you are God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the life giver. No, that's not arrogance. That's just the fact, Jack. Jesus can back it up that he deserves to be first in all things. Because all things, including you and me, are in existence by his very will. You say, what does it have to do with the question? What's the purpose of my life? It has everything to do with it because the what is the wrong question to start with. You don't start this conversation with what is the purpose of my life. You start the question with who is my life for? Who is my life to be dedicated to? Who is my life to be lived for? Who should have Full sway over my life, my abilities, my skills, my opportunities. So I love the first chapter in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven uh, Life. If you've never read that book, great book. Great book, The Purpose Driven Life. And chapter one is, it's not about you. And I love that because what we're discovering is life's not about me. Life is about Jesus he should be preeminent. He should be first. He should be greatest. And when I get that settled in my mind, the what will take care of itself. What is the purpose of my life has to be followed by or preceded by who is my life for. And my life is for Jesus. Now when it comes to the what, did you notice in verse 16 that Paul declares all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And if all things means all things, all things means you. 
So you were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Not for you. Not for yourself. Life's not about you just living for your pleasures, living for your priorities, living for your plans, living for your pursuits. Life is about Jesus. You were created by him. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You are a special creation of God, made in the image of God, known by God before you were even born, loved by him. He's got a plan for you. He wants you to know you were created by him and you were created for him. To live for him, for your life to be dedicated to him. God didn't create a race of robots. He created people in which he could have a relationship with through Jesus the Son. And in everything, which means everything, he might be first. So what is my life for? You were created by Jesus for Jesus. So that means the purpose of my life is to know him. And if I'm going to make him preeminent, there's a good old-fashioned theology word. If I'm going to glorify him, I not only know him, I make him known by how I live. I want to know him, and I want to make him known by everything I say and everything I do. I want it to directly and indirectly help me to know Jesus and make him known. Dear friend, that's the purpose God has for you, is to know him, not as a trivial pursuit, but to have it as the passion of your life, that if I don't accomplish anything else in this life, I want to know him better tomorrow than I did today. I want to know him in his grace. I want to know him in his love. I want to know him in his mercy. I want to know more about this invisible God made visible through Jesus. I want to know more about my creator. I want to know more about my savior. I want to know more about my sustainer. I want to know more about the one who went to a cross for me. I want to know more about the one who rose from the dead for me. I want to know more about the one who not only forgave me of my sin, but promised one day he'll deliver me even from this body of sin and I'll have a new body like him. I want to know more and I want to make him known. Dear friend, I'm going to tell you something. One of the best things that will ever happen to me and you is if we get fired up about knowing Jesus more than we've ever known him before. Digging in his word, spending time in prayer, being more faithful to worship where Jesus and his word is proclaimed. Being in a life group where we can learn more about him and how to live out his purpose for our lives with other believers. And be part of the church in which he is the head. Why is the church important? It's because it's the only institution that Jesus created and died for and put you into the moment you trusted him as your Savior. You and I should get fired up about wanting to know more about him. And as a result of knowing more, we don't want just head knowledge where we're puffed up and we can quote verses of Scripture. We can stab a person in the back with a pious platitude before they knew what hit them. No, we want to know him more so that we can make him known to others. Make him preeminent, glorify him, make much of him so that this world can see our Savior through us. That is the purpose of your life. You're saying, okay, but you're giving me a spiritual answer for a practical question. Pastor, I just want to know, should I marry this girl or not? I just want to know, should I purchase this car 
or not? I just want to know, should I invest in this stock market or not? I just want to know, should I go to the University of Georgia or should I go to the University of Florida? <laughs> and see, it's hard to know God's will. Somebody asked me, they said, you know, you're from Georgia, so are you a Georgia Bulldog fan or are you a Florida Gator fan? And I said, well, you're right, I am from Georgia. But I've been here 24 years, and the people who signed my paycheck are Florida Gator fans, so what do you think? <laughs> now, <laughs> thank you, I have job security now, maybe. I probably just lost eight church members right there. We're out of here. Now, what if God said to you, thou shalt go to the University of Florida? And then the angels joined in chorus, go Gators. <laughs> You're going, I know God's will for my life now. What if God wrote it in the sky? Thou shalt go to the University of Georgia. Go Bulldog. Oh, I know God's will for my life now. And you go and you earn your graduate degree. You meet somebody. You get married. You get a good job. And you live your life and you punch the clock and you deposit your paycheck and you raise your family. In the end of your life, you can do all of that and it's great. But will you know when it's all said and done and you're on your deathbed that the greatest pursuit of my life has been to know him and to make him known. Will the greatest knowledge that you have at the end of your life, that your life made a difference, is that Jesus has changed you and he's used you to change other people's lives by introducing them to him. Listen, I'm all about God's will, and I believe God has a will for our lives in those practical things. But we need to start with who. Who's your life for? It's for Jesus what is God's purpose since you were created by him and for him? Well, then it's to get to know this Jesus that created you and saved you. And it's to make him known by how you live. And whenever you start getting the who and the what, then the how comes into place. But before you get to how, you need to answer one more question. And that's why. Why am I doing what I do? I want to skip over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Because it kind of answers the question, why do I do what I do? Colossians 3.17. This also will give you some freedom. Some of you that are, I want to know God's will for this particular thing in my life. Well, I don't know that for you, but, but this verse will free you up. You ready to be freed up? Say amen. amen. Colossians 3.17. Paul writes, and whatever you do. He's throwing the door open pretty wide, isn't he? To God's will for your life. Hey, hey, whatever you do. In word or deed. In other words, whatever you say, whatever you do. Do everything. He's hoping you get it. He, he's, he's belaboring this point here. Whatever you do, in case you don't know what that means, that means whatever you say, whatever you physically do, in case you don't get it, in everything. Are we clear? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says, let me just throw the door open wide. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it all. Do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means in the reputation of, by the authority of, for the glory of, for the popularity of. Do it all in the name of Jesus. Just go do that. Whenever my parents started their own construction company years ago, they started in our living room, and as a kid, I helped my dad on construction sites, and then when you become a teenager, you had to start working, and so I would work with him in the summers. It was better than cropping tobacco, I will tell you that, uh, so I chose to work with my dad, but we were going to work. You're going to work in our home when you're a teenager, and so I would go to work with him and go to his job sites. In fact, I distinctly remember the first time I sensed God's call on my life in the ministry. It was when we were pouring hundreds of yards of concrete in June in Lake City, Florida. <laughs> There's got to be an easier life than this. This is hard work. I don't know if it was sunstroke. I think it was the Lord. But uh, I kind of first started feeling that. But you know how it is whenever your parents start a business and you are the oldest son. There is an unspoken thought in the back of your mind. My parents expect me to take over this business one day. That's why they're working me in this business. That's why my dad is trying to teach me some skills that I wouldn't have otherwise. That's why he takes me with him when he meets with CPAs or bankers or he goes to bid openings. I think my dad wants me to take over the business one day. Join him in it and then maybe one day take it over. So when I was 17 and felt God calling me into ministry, and I went before my church and said that on a Sunday night, my pastor prayed with me and he said, I want you to tell the church what you just told me. So I had to go public that I believed God's will for my life was to become a minister. My parents weren't there that night because my uncle from Atlanta had come into town. So they stayed home with him that night. And I sheepishly went home and said to my parents, I need to tell you about church tonight. And I hope it doesn't disappoint you. But I don't think it's God's will for me to go into the company. I think God wants me to be in ministry. And I don't know what that means. But I think that's what he wants me to do. And my mom and dad said, disappoint us. What do you mean disappoint us? How could that disappoint us? And then I don't know if my dad had ever read this verse or not. But it sure looking back on it, it sounds like he knew what he was talking about. My dad looked at me and he says, Ricky. I already knew this, that you weren't going into the business. I said, was I that bad of a carpenter? He said, well. <laughs> and if you've ever seen me swing a hammer, you'll know why I talk for a living. He says, no, 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 it's not really that. He said, but even when you were younger, and I'm, I was at, you know, 17 at this point, and I would start working with him. I was probably 14, 15. He said, even when you were younger, at lunch breaks, grown men twice or, old, or more than you in age would talk to you about their marriage and about their family and about the Bible. And he said, I knew then that you had a gift. Ricky, if God is calling you to be a plumber, go be the best plumber you can be to the glory of God. If God is calling you to be a preacher, you go and be the best preacher you can be to the glory of God. Isn't that what Paul means? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name for the glory of, for the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. Saying, Father, thank you for sending your son to love me 
even when I'm unlovely. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me on a cross. Thank you that you raised him from the dead so that I could put my trust in him and he could forgive me of my sin. Thank you for letting me have this chance to get to know him more and to make him known. And God, whatever I do and whatever I say, I just want to know Jesus more and I just want people to see Jesus more in me. There's no dichotomy between Sunday and Monday, between secular and spiritual. Some of you need to know this morning, stop second-guessing your choices. God has you where he wants you. Glorify him there. Don't look at other people and compare yourself with them thinking they're more spiritual than you are. No, whatever you do, just do it in the name of Jesus. Bring glory to him. Now, while this throws open wide the door of God's will for our lives, it also instinctively closes a lot of other doors. Because if you and I can't do something or say something in the name of Jesus, imagine this, if we were obligated to go around and say, I now pump this gas in the name of Jesus. I now watch this television show in the name of Jesus. I now will respond to this person who is criticizing me in the name of Jesus. Man, if we had to be that vocal and that verbal and and intentional, we would stop doing some things we're doing, and we would stop saying some things we're saying, and we'd stop acting in some ways we're acting, because we don't need a preacher telling us, that's not what Jesus would do. That's not how Jesus would talk. I don't think Jesus would go in there. And so it closes the door. Listen to Uh, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 16. Back up now to verse 5 in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Dang it. I'm sorry, did that come out? That's right. Some of you were thinking that right there. Okay, great. Okay, I know it's out of God's will. You didn't really need a verse to tell you that, did you? But boy, whenever you hear it and it's in black and white. Yeah, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, he's talking about lust there, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. He's talking about before you got saved, before you became a Christ follower. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Oh, by the way, he's not finished. Here's some more things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There's not one way of living for certain people and a different way of living for other people. There's no such thing as, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. No, no, no. This applies to all of us. And then he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what you put on, like me putting on a coat. I don't normally wear a coat in this service, but you put on. The word in the Greek is enduo. It means to envelop yourself in. And he doesn't say pick or choose. You put all this on as a follower of Jesus. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here it is. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if 
one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. I don't want to forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father. It opens the door wide, but it also closes some doors. You don't have to pray about God's will on certain things. He's made it clear. Take those things off. Die to those things. They don't belong in the life of a child of God. And we all struggle with those things. Wearing some of those old garments of attitudes and actions that we know aren't pleasing to God. That are out of bounds for us as God's people. That don't look anything or sound anything like Jesus. We all struggle with that. And we will struggle with it until Jesus comes. But it's our job every day to say, I want to know Jesus. And I want to make him known. There's some things in my life I need to do away with. There's some other things I need to put on. And I need to clothe myself in the virtues of Christ. Because that whole description of what we're to put on sounds a lot like Jesus. He was every one of those things. Dear friend, don't you get it? If you figure out who, that your life is not for you, it's for Jesus. Because he's your creator, sustainer, redeemer. And if you realize that your purpose in life is to know him and to make him known in everything you say and do, bringing glory to him and giving thanks to the Father, all those other questions you have will take care of themselves. Just go do what you want to do. Because if your number one passion is to know him and to make him known, you really can't go wrong. You know when I go wrong is when my number one passion is not to know him or to make him known by what I say and how I live. That's where I mess up. But if I make that my passion, it's just amazing how everything else seems to fall into place. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe today as a follower of Jesus, you need to rededicate your life to him. And Jesus, there were so many times in 2018 where life was not about you. It was about me. It was not about knowing you better. I pursued so many other pursuits in my life and you were a hobby relegated to Sunday morning once in a while. But today I rededicate myself to you. The number one passion of my life needs to be to know you and to make you known directly or indirectly through what I say and what I do. Jesus, I can't do that on my own. I'm going to fail if this is all my strength and my willpower Jesus, I need you. By your grace, would you just live your life through me? I open my heart, just draw closer as I draw closer to you. Because I can't live like you need me to live on my own strength. 
but through your resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, live your life through me. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, dear Christian, there's only one who ever perfectly lived the Christian life. That's Jesus. You're not going to live a perfect life. But why don't you just invite that one who can live the perfect life to come into you in a greater way this year than you let him last year. And maybe today, for the first time in your life, you need Jesus. You've come to realize today what you know deep down in your heart, that you were created by God and for God, by Jesus and for Jesus. And your greatest life and happiness and peace and purpose will only be found in a relationship through him. So maybe today you'll say, dear God, that's right, you can pray right where you are. Nobody's looking, everybody's bowing their heads. You can just say in your heart, dear God, I admit to you, I am a sinner I admit to you I've done so much wrong and I've lived life on my terms, not yours. But in spite of my sin, you love me. And you sent Jesus to prove it. And your son died for me on a cross and I believe he rose from the dead. And I have a million questions, but this I know. He came to forgive sinners. I'm a sinner. So I trust him. I trust him to forgive me of my sin. And I receive the gift of eternal life. Help me now to learn more about him, to know him, and to make him known. Father, we'll praise you for whatever decisions we need to make in this room to rededicate our lives to Christ or to trust Christ for the first time. God, I pray if there's anyone that needs to take a next step, they won't be ashamed. They'll let our church help them reach higher. Maybe they'll come to the guest services at the next step area at the back of the auditorium where someone's there ready to help in any way that we can as they take their next step in their spiritual journey. Or maybe they'll use that fcbc.life and let us know, today I've committed my life to Christ so that we can rejoice with them and celebrate even as the angels in heaven are celebrating now. We love you, God, and we dedicate ourselves to you in this day and in this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.